0: You ask me which I prefer, the stars themselves or their mirror image on the puddles of the path home, their light as strong as moonlight, the night cold and still. We take a shortcut across an overgrown wrath, old stones that seem to spill haphazardly. But if you haul back the brambles, you will find patterns there. You will know lifetimes ago we gazed at the same constellations, amazed by such brilliance. And found in their rule the measure of each year, each journey. Do you remember how it was? The seasons of study in the star school, scanning for portent conjugations of sky beasts that people the sea of our heavens. Do you remember that crazy light we tracked one midwinter? The light they later called the Christos and the terror, the blood cost of that logos. How our arts were eclipsed and many gentle comrades tortured and burned. How the songs we had crafted for travel were lost, language itself lost, when we were scattered like sparks to the wind. So well you might ask the light, or its image turned in a puddle, sure-footed friend on the path you roam, by the light of a million, million sun's home. Hello, and welcome to Words That Burn, a podcast about poetry. Each week, I read a poem, look at its inner workings, and hopefully show you what makes it tick. This week's poem is Home by Starlight by Paula Meehan. Before I begin, I have a suggestion. Try to find a copy of the poem. It can be a physical copy that you have in a book, or you can simply look one up on your phone. If you're really stuck, you'll find a link to a copy of the poem in the description below. It helps when you can read along. This is the first Irish poem I've covered on this podcast. And if you didn't know already, I'm Irish, so I'm actually quite excited. Paula Meehan is one of Dublin's greatest poets to me. Anyway, her work encompasses complex and vast themes that touch upon encoded language, cultural identity, stolen history, necessary radicalization, the ties of place, and the echoes of ancestry. She is a working-class poet, having been born in one of Dublin's many underprivileged areas in 1955. As such, much of her work has dealt with the hardships of economic poverty and life in that city. This poem is very different from that kind of poem. It focuses on a much older Irish society. Written in 1991 and dedicated to another Irish poet, Lisa Stepp, this poem deals with ancient memory and feminine identity, as well as stolen power. The dedication itself is important. Lisa Stepp is Meehan's contemporary, a poet in her own right. And so the theme of sisterhood and camaraderie is addressed right off the bat, before the actual poem even begins. With this in mind, it's possible that the opening stanza here is a reference to an actual memory that the pair share. You ask me which I prefer, the stars themselves or their mirror image on the puddles of the path home their light as strong as moonlight the night cold and still we take a shortcut across an overgrown wrath old stones that seem to spill haphazardly but if you haul back the brambles you will find patterns there you the first stanza is addressed directly to a mysterious subject a you in my mind it's step Mehan wishes to establish the idea of a shared experience early on in the poem This idea of shared experience becomes an indispensable theme later on. She references a conversation the pair had at some point in the recent past. The nature of that conversation is clearly somewhat metaphysical. You ask me which I prefer, the stars themselves, or their mirror image on the puddles of the path home. Immediately, the notion of reality versus representation is established. Is it enough to be satisfied with a perceived object, or must it be genuine? More to the point, If something is not the genuine article, merely a representation of it, a photograph, a line of poetry, a cinematic scene, does it carry any real value? This is a question that will be addressed again towards the end of the poem. From here, the words of the stanza switch to the language of place and direction. Their light as strong as moonlight, the night cold and still. We take a shortcut across an overgrown wrath old stones that seem to spill haphazardly the language here is physically descriptive it constructs the scene vividly in the listener's mind adjectives like cold and still combined with real landscape stones that seem to spill all share the place with the reader allowing them to join in on this sense of community that she and step share me in here creates a strong connection to ireland a Rath is an ancient ring fort found all over Northern Europe, but is especially common in Ireland. They have long been associated with the pagan and fairy culture of Ireland’s ancient past. They are sometimes referred to as liminal spaces, a point of change and disorientation in physical space, where humans can interact with the other world. This is absolutely intentional on the part of Mian. Liminal spaces are often a theme of her work. And in this poem, she uses the reference as a kind of jumping off point. From here, the concrete, physically grounded language of the opening lines begins to dissolve. The chaos of nature – haphazard stones, overgrown brambles – suddenly gives way to patterns. Chaos is tamed by some hidden order, and it's doubtful that it's scientific. This order seems to be brought about by a different kind of understanding. The stanza ends on an unfinished U that leads directly into the first line of the next one. This is important as it creates a sense of disorientation all its own. The poem becomes a shifting thing, fluidly moving between the recent and ancient past, with no clear delineation on which one is which. This simple technique of an open ending to a stanza allows the stanzas to bleed together so that the reader slips in and out of the different times. The result should be jarring, and yet seems to have exactly the opposite effect. You will know, lifetimes ago, we gazed at the same constellations, amazed by such brilliance, and found in their rule the measure of each year. Each journey, do you remember how it was? The seasons of study in the star school, scanning for portent conjugations of sky beasts that people the sea of our heavens. Do you remember the crazy light we tracked one midwinter? In the first lines of this stanza, we'll know lifetimes ago we gazed. We are made subtly aware that the poem has shifted from the recent past of Meehan's experience to something much more ancient. To further this idea, Ancient skills are mentioned, none of them seem to be based in science. There is an arcane sense to each one, and more importantly, the language becomes increasingly mystic as the stanza progresses. The seasons of study in the star school, scanning for portent conjugations of sky beasts that peopled the sea of our heavens. Much of this language is old. Paganistic. It is there specifically to evoke exactly that. Paganism. Ireland's earliest belief system. The idea of being in tune with your land and surrounding. The importance of seeing the world in a very different way. In this case, as we'll see later, a distinctly female way. What makes me say this? There's a big change in the we used in this stanza compared to the one used in the first. Initially, it referred to a pair, Meehan and Step. Now, there is a far more tribal quality to it. It refers on some level to women as a whole, not only in Meehan's time, but throughout time. It would be fair to say, and a touch of an understatement, that Meehan is considered to be one of Ireland's foremost feminist poets, though she herself feels such a title as limiting. She was heavily influenced by the poet Ivan Boland in her earlier career, especially Boland's thoughts around Irish female identity. Specifically, how much Ireland would benefit from a less whitewashed version of women's roles in this nation's history. In this poem, it's clear that Meehan regards the ancient Irish woman as a figure of power and knowledge, keeper of the unknown, a witness to the majesty of nature. Do you remember that crazy light we tracked one midwinter? This idea of Irish women is strong and powerful, has always fascinated me and she seems to trace it to her upbringing, stating as much in an interview. I'm from the north inner city of Dublin. My childhood was full of incredibly strong women. Take my grandmother, a ferocious, powerful woman. It wouldn't have made any sense for me to come home to her with a book by Betty Friedan saying, get off your knees, you've been oppressed. Because for a start, I wouldn't have been respecting her world. And secondly, she would have hit me over the head with the book. So you have to be sensitive to the fact that the American model of feminism might not map onto the Irish reality. Not that the American and European traditions of feminism weren't nurturing, and especially the work of the women poets, but we were often sold a simplistic take that ignored the strong matriarchal elements in Irish proletarian life in the city and amongst the rural dispossessed. To use those lovely old-fashioned words, proletariat, dispossessed, you have to make a context for the merging of the academic with what is real. As you can see, representation in reality seems to occupy a lot of Meehan's time. From this, it's clear that modern concepts of feminism and Irishness are things that clash for me in. And so to reconcile this, she turns to a more ancient example. What is not in question, however, is just how essential a feminist approach to history is, not only for Irish women, but for women around the world. A point that is driven home with great force in the final stanza the light they later called the Christos, and the terror, the blood cost of that Logos, how our arts were eclipsed and many gentle comrades tortured and burned, how the songs we had crafted for travel were lost, language itself lost, when we were scattered like sparks to the wind, so well you might ask the light, or its image turned in a puddle, sure-footed friend on the path you roam, by the light of a million, million sun's home. The paradise outlined in the previous stanza is suddenly invaded by organized religion, more specifically, Christianity. Proof for this being that Christos and Logos are used as alternate names for Jesus Christ by different cultures, both referenced here. Logos here has a dual meaning, also representing the realm of reason, a further poison to the more ephemeral, arcane world that Mian has built. There can be no doubt that this religion destroyed what was once held dear by these women. It's made clear when Mehan begins to reference the concept of witch burning, how our arts were eclipsed and many gentle comrades tortured and burned. A clear reference to the torture of the women who gained any kind of power in early medieval society. The choice of words here, gentle comrades, is very important. First, Comrades, reinforces the sense of community that Meehan has been trying to create in this poem. And secondly, Gentle, a word used to ensure that the innocence of these women is never in doubt. From this point on, the language and imagery of the poem evoke the sense of breakdown, or shift, and change. Specifically, loss through change. There is a tragedy in that so much has been lost to strict reasoning. How the songs we crafted for travel were lost. Language itself lost when we were scattered like sparks to the wind. The end of certain language. The dissolution of meaning is coupled with the literal burning of her sisters as Meehan tries to quantify just how much was lost in the blink of an eye. Not only the information, but also how it can be accessed. We as listeners would be left with a hollowing sense of loss if Mian had not chosen her closing words so carefully. So well you might ask the light, or its image turned in a puddle, sure-footed friend on the path you roam, by the light of a million, million sun's home. These lines are surely the most complex and evocative of the poem. They are dense, exceptionally abstract in places, but also oddly hopeful and easy to read through. This is largely in part to the rhyming scheme that Meehan employs very strictly in this final few lines. They bring the poem to a close in a cyclical fashion. In the opening stanza, Meehan introduced the idea of representation versus reality with the lines, the stars themselves or their mirror image on the puddles of the path home. Here at the end, we see that those lines are brought back, albeit in a different form. You might ask the light, or its image turned in a puddle. To me, it's mean's way of acknowledging that we may never know exactly how much knowledge was lost, how many women were needlessly burned. We may never know the reality, but we can acknowledge their loss and mourn through things like poetry, their representation. To drive home the importance of this representation, she leans into poetic language, crafting one final bright message about being guided home by a million sons. Certainly a very over-the-top representation, but it in no way takes away from the core message of the poem. So why did I choose this poem? Paula Meehan is honestly one of my favourite poets. She addresses an aspect of the Irish cultural identity that is often overlooked, the burden of our past. It has often been commented by critics and fans alike that there is a healing quality to Paula Meehan's work that using the poetic form she attempts to address old wounds that have been left to fester. She seems to respect this interpretation and even believes it herself. She said in an interview with the Irish Times, I think the whole river of poetry is a history of the dream life and the dreaming of the human species. I think we can solve things through dreaming. I think we can embed important memories, survival strategies through dreaming. It's the place where everybody is a poet. I think this poem very specifically encapsulates the idea of solving things through dreaming. So, how did I do? Do you agree with my reading? Or am I really, 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 really wrong? I will point out, as always, that this is my interpretation. And as such, is very much up for debate. If you'd like to talk to me about it, Or if you have a poem you'd like me to read on this podcast, you can get in touch in loads of places. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at wordsthatburnpodcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at wordsthatburnpodcast.com. They have full references and citations so you know exactly how I researched. I have a quick request. If you've been enjoying this podcast so far and you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts, please give me a review. It really helps me in spreading the podcast around. If you're listening to me on Google Podcasts, you can do the same. If you're listening to me on Spotify, and you have friends that might enjoy this poem, or it's reading, please send it to them. This episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music for this week's episode was provided by Scott Buckley, and is used under Creative Commons license. As always... I really appreciate you spending your time with me, and hopefully you'll hear from me again soon.